Want to see the world from a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to the Francesca Luca Show. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. Hi, everyone. You are tuned in to the Francesca Luca Show. I am Francesca, and my web address is talkwithfrancesca.com. If you miss part of this show, you're going to want to hop on, on over to my iTunes page and listen there. And I would love it if you would leave a review. This portion of the show is sponsored by Boston Botox. That's B-E-A-U-T-O-X. Because there is Botox and then there is Botox. Don't miss their grand opening. Boston Botox can help you on your journey to live well and be well. If you're tired of looking tired, visit them today at bostonbotox.com. That spelling, again, is B-E-A-U-T-O-X. All right, we're going to dive right in. So much of falling in love is, as we know, visual. Whether we like to think so or not, it's true. Catching someone's eye, noticing with admiration or pleasant surprise how they dress, how they carry themselves, being captivated by their smile, feeling that initial sense of physical attraction. But when you're blind, how do you fall in love if you cannot be at first sight? By sound, of course. Mary Harper is a happily retired psychotherapist, and she's the author of The Sound of Her Voice, My Blind Parent's Story. Her stirring book documents the remarkable lives of her parents from the time they fell in love at the Indiana School for the Blind through their challenges, determination, and successes as blind people. Big welcome to you, Mary. Thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So I guess my very first question is what, which is a loaded question, obviously, but what was it like being brought up by blind parents? Well, that definitely is a loaded question. I know. <laughs> you could talk about that for hours on end, obviously, right? Yeah, I could. But, um, you know, I, when I was starting this whole project of writing the book, I, I realized there's so many stories. Uh, I could have written a whole book about my dad. I could have written one about my mother. I could have written one about the relationship. And then, of course, what it was like to be a child of blind parents. And mm-hmm. so that was the easiest. That's what I knew. So I started off writing my memoir and thinking, and it wasn't flowing. And I thought, something's wrong. Oh, this is not a story about me. It's a story about mom and dad. Right. It's, I, I'm a player in this story, but it's not my story, really. It's theirs. So um, definitely want to spend more time talking about that and, and, and what they went through and their challenges. And, and um, But, it, it, yeah, there was a lot of things that were different about being uh, with blind parents. For example, not many children are asked by their parents, um, hey, uh, Mary, do I have any spots on my dress? Am, am I, do I look okay? How's my lipstick? Is it on straight? Mm-hmm. It, it, it used to be for my mother. 
it took forever for her to get ready to go someplace because she knew she was being judged. Every single time she went out of the house, people would be looking at her. And she knew that she had to look good. Uh, and, of course, that was back in the time when all the women wore, like, gloves. This was in the 60s, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wore gloves to go out or and, and heels, and you always put hose on and girdles and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, and nowadays it's much more relaxed. But for her, it was important to be clean and have her hair done all the time, um, which also extended to us as children. We had to look good. We always to make sure we washed our faces after we ate because we didn't want us running around looking dirty. We had separate sets of clothes. We had play clothes, school clothes, uh, church clothes, and she made sure that we were always clean. And the reason why she was so worried about how we behaved and how we looked is that she knew she and Dad were being judged constantly. And her biggest fear was, am I going to be taken, are the children going to be taken away from me by uh, Children's Protective Services? Um, and, of course, when she would mention that to me as a child, I was like, oh, okay, I'll be good, I'll be good. <laughs> Uh, But you weren't, but I mean, right from the start, obviously, your parents were blind. So it wasn't as if they, you know, one of them or both of them suddenly lost their eyesight. I mean, this is all you ever knew, right? That's correct. So pretty much all they ever knew. Right. So did you, did you or them find it challenging or was it just part of, of, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Because obviously this is all you knew and that's all they knew. On the other hand, um, there's a lot of stuff that people don't think about, um, like lack of transportation. Oh, yeah. I, I can remember so many times. I'm going to go somewhere. I want to do something. Get out of the house. And if I wanted to, okay, you can go for a walk. You can ride your bicycle or take a bus. So we were different in that way and that we were dependent upon others for transportation, and that really was one of the biggest frustrations, I could not wait to learn to drive. <laughs> mm-hmm. The years between 12 and 16 were endless because I just could not wait to get my driver's license. Oh, right, right, right. Now, yeah. do you have um, any sisters or brothers? I do. I have um, my oldest sister has now passed away, but um, she's 10 years older than me. Then there's my brother who's six years older. Then there's Rita who's three years older, and then there's me. Okay. So, Mom and Dad got married late in life because she, late, especially for back in the times, they got married in 1941, and, you know, most people get married at 18 or whatever. Uh, but, you know, they were uh, closer to 30 because wow. uh, my mother's staunch refusal to get married until my father could prove that he could earn a living and support her and a family. So, that, wow. Yeah. Oh, good. Good for her. Good for her. Um, yeah. So, um, what what inspired you to write this? You know, there's so many fun stories about them from their childhood on up through their adulthood that I just thought I can't let these stories be lost. Um, and I have grandchildren now, but they, of course, will never know their grandparents, great grandparents. Uh, and my own kids, I wanted to make sure my own kids knew the stories. So I was starting to write just for them, and then as I was writing and telling people about my story, uh, also part of a writing group, and they, they all kept saying, Mary, you've got to publish this. This is just too good. You just can't keep it for the family. So mm-hmm. that's when I decided to uh, take it a little bit wider. So let's go back a little bit to the, the challenges. I know you said transportation was a big one and obviously frustrating. Um, what were some other challenges that you experienced? 
Um, okay. Uh, one of the hardest things for me as I was growing up especially is I hated people staring at us. We'd go out as a family, and, of course, there's a lot to look at when you are all walking down to church uh, along a fairly busy street. Uh, my dad usually would have his dog with him, his Singai dog, and so there would be six people walking along. Uh, and, I, and also, whenever I was walking with my mom, and when I think about it, oh, my God, they trusted young kids with their safety. Um, my dad was completely mobile. He had his dog. He went anywhere. He flew. He took trains and whatever. He did everything on his own. That my mother was never taught that in school. They back then did not teach mobility to the girls. And so as a result, she never went anywhere by herself. Um, she was fine around the house, great around the yard, mm-hmm. but she never walked down the street to a neighbor's house, for example, by herself. So uh, it was always different uh, having to walk with them. If I would walk with my dad, he'd uh, take my left elbow with his right arm, and off we would go, and I would stop at curbs and streets and so forth uh, and, and, and describe or say, oh, look, there's a um, branch hanging down over the sidewalk. You need to duck your head. So then he would duck his head. Mm-hmm. I had to be alert for all that. Most kids don't think about that when they're walking with their parents. Right, uh, right. More than that, it was people looking at us. Um, that just bugged me. I don't, anyway, what are you looking at? This is not a show. Uh, yeah, but people, yeah, were, right. they were curious. And uh, my dad, I don't know if you noticed in the pictures, uh, had one very large eye, and the mm-hmm. other eye was basically an empty socket covered with an eyelid. Mm-hmm. So he looked different, and, and people would stare, especially little kids. Um, and it always bothered my mother because, yes, she had enlarged eyes due to glaucoma, but... Um, when she was much younger, she and finally had the money. She was able to re- have them removed, and she got glass eyes, so artificial eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, she looked normal. People, uh, my best friend in fourth grade said, "I brought her home. And she, she's not blind. She doesn't. She wa- she doesn't look blind at all. And she's walking around just fine." And I'm like, "I'm not lying." <laughs> <My mom can't laughs> so Jesus couldn't believe me. You, you know what? I, it just sort of crossed my mind. You think about when you were a kid and um, that your parents always read you the bedtime stories. Well, that obviously didn't happen. So did gotcha. your did your sister or brothers, did, did they read to you or did you read to them? How did that work? You know, I have no memory of any of my siblings reading to me. They were always busy doing their own thing, and I was like, somebody read to me. Well, because it's funny because, you know, it kind of, I think about it because you obviously, you're an author, right? So obviously you, you like literature. So, um, yeah, I was just sort of curious about that one. Um, anyway, we do, I'm sorry, um, go ahead and answer that question, then we're going to take a real quick short break. Oh, no, that's all right. I, I, I'm at a break. Okay. <laughs> You've had enough. (laughs) All right, listeners, stay with us here. We will be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. This is Life Don't Miss It. I'm Francesca, and you're listening to The Francesca Luca Show on 95.9 WATD. The time is now to finally install that new patio or fire pit that's been in your dreams. Your home is ready to be beautified with stonework, but when the time comes, you want and need the best. That's where Stein Masonry comes in. Stein Masonry provides the best in high quality construction and hardscaping services. 
With an experienced and dedicated team, they'll tailor any project to your specifications. When you decide it's time to enhance your home, don't mess with less than the best. Trust the guys you know. Stein Masonry, family owned and operated and local. Visit them online today for a free quote at steinmasonry.com. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy trattoria with stucco walls and beam ceiling specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisine here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. And Terramia Ristorante also offers outdoor dining. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. For indoor or outdoor dining, the best kept secret is worth the trip. Terramia Ristorante. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiaristorante.com. Looking for a comfortable experience to have your medical spa and wellness treatments? Well, you have found the place. Boston Botox has arrived. That is B-E-A-U-T-O-X. They succeed in combining Morpheus 8 microneedling with radio frequency, medical skin treatments, and art to give you that rejuvenated look and feel. Undo skin damage from sun exposure and treat the signs of aging and gravity. Are you feeling stressed, experiencing hormone changes or weight gain? You are not alone. Boston Botox, that is B-E-A-U-T-O-X, can help you on your journey to live well and be well. Embrace the fountain of youth. Visit bostonbotox.com, B-E-A-U-T-O-X, to begin your journey of self-care today. You'll be glad you did. Who doesn't go to the hair salon to liven up their looks? Though sometimes you look worse on the way out than you did walking in. You can expect something different at Hair Design Fationa. With a super modern feel that can hardly be mistaken for suburban, a full-service hair salon, they offer cuts, color, highlighting, and formal design. Fationa is originally from Europe where she owned her own salon. With an impressive following, she won't disappoint. I know because I can tell you from my own experience, I felt transformed and you will too. So if you're looking to turn a few heads, call Fationa today at 781-964-3770. Conveniently located at 834 Washington Street in Braintree or visit her on Facebook. That number again is 781-964-3770. Call today, you'll be thrilled. I know you will. HM Auto Detailing handles entire fleets of vehicles for local businesses, and they're ready to make your car, truck, or SUV shine like new. Do you stare at that spill from when your coffee got away? Are you sad about that bag of groceries that tumbled and stained? Maybe the kid's last food fight left war wounds in your vehicle. Or it might just be time for a good cleaning. Get a fresh start with HM Auto Detailing. Same day service, over 10 years experience, they even detail boats and aircrafts. Call HM Auto Detailing today at 781-738-3301. That's 781-738-3301. Mention the Francesca Luca Show and get 50% off your first detailing. HM Auto Detailing, 156 Union Street in Rockland. 
plan a wonderful evening in Boston's North End, highlighted by one of the neighborhood's best-kept secrets, Antico Forno. Renowned as one of the world's most authentic Italian restaurants, Antico Forno provides you with an unforgettable dining experience featuring world-class traditional Italian dishes cooked in their beautiful brick oven. Outdoor dining is now available too. Whether seated inside or enjoying an evening under the stars, when you eat at Antico Forno, you feel like part of the family. Antico Forno is open seven days a week. See their menu and make your reservation online at AnticoFornoBoston.com. This is Life Don't Miss It. Now, for more of the Francesca Luca Show on 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back. Anything is possible when love guides the way, says Harper, who is with me this evening, who has written a book, The Sound of Her Voice. It's a story about her parents who are both blind. Welcome back, Mary. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. So tell us about this true love story <laughs> of these two kids who fell in love despite not being able to even see each other. Right. Um, well, to put it in a little bit of context, they were both born in uh, 1913, 1914, within like three months of each other, uh, within about 60 miles of each other in Indiana, central Indiana. And they had all kinds of experiences as children, different ways of uh, going blind. My dad was blind by age four and my mother by 11. But they both ended up at the Indiana School for the Blind, and that is a boarding school. And at the time, kids would go, like my mother did, in September and not go home until Thanksgiving. So that's a long time to be away from your mom when you're, you know, 10 years old. But uh, you could go home on weekends, of course, but she wasn't able to. So. They, it was a very different um, experience for them, and the school at that time, in the early 20s, kept the boys and the girls strictly segregated. The boys were on one side of the classroom, the girls were on the other, they had separate dining rooms, they couldn't uh, play together, they had separate playgrounds, and I think it was all in an effort to deny that there could ever be any kind of attraction between the two. We, we don't want to make sure, you know, there's no little crushes going on here. Mm. But how, so, okay, go ahead. I was just wondering, so how did they fall in love? Yeah, right. Well, the uh, first time my dad heard her voice was in fourth grade. She was seated, a, a new kid in class. She had been moved up because she was pretty smart, went right through third grade, and then was in fourth grade, and he got she got seated right across the aisle from him. And one day she was asked to recite a poem by from memory. So she stood up sort of trembling and recited those four lines and then sat back down. But my dad heard every word and memorized every word that she said and the sound of her voice. And from that moment, which I never realized that he had memorized that and and, uh, he had used those words and the sound of her voice to comfort himself during the times that they were apart later on. And he never forgot those words, never. Uh, That's part of the book, too, at at the end. Um, so the, uh, they were not really able to uh, interact with each other until about sixth grade when they were seated together at what they called the mat table where they had cut out some state and they were supposed to feel each state and put it in the right place and so forth. And, oh, that was exciting for them to be able to actually interact together. Um, so that, 
but, you know, there was not much that they could do beyond that until they were in high school. And then they were able to, they had, I think, three dances, four dances a year, uh, which were strictly supervised, of course. Uh, but they had um, dances, and the music was provided by a blind student and was really good on the piano. So that's when they were able to actually talk to each other. Mm. Then they figured out a way to communicate. Um, and it involves uh, the postal system and both of the mothers and sending home laundry. And I won't tell exactly how they did that, but uh, in other words, they were able to write braille letters to each other. It took a little while to get around back, but uh, they were able to communicate that way. And then got a, a little bit older, and uh, the, at the school they had uh, a performing arts thing, a society, and, and so they uh, were uh, in the choir, mm-hmm. and, and that was fine. But, you know, when the choir wasn't needed, they were told the boys go to one side, the girls go to the other side of the stage. Well, my dad figured out that the, behind the curtain, uh, behind the stage, was long enough that nobody would see their feet. So they... He whispered to my mom, let's meet back there. So they did. They met behind the curtain and held hands and whispered to each other. Aww. <laughs> that was so sweet. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah sweet. so that, that was one thing. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. And so how long did they court <laughs> before they, oh. they ended up? Yeah. My dad would have said interminable. <laughs> Because, as I have said before, Mom would not marry him until he could prove that uh, he could earn money. Well, okay, you're uh, in the 1930s. It's the middle of the Depression. You're uh, taught in high school, okay, these are ways that blind people can earn a living. We'll teach you how to cane a chair. We'll teach you how to make a broom. You could sell brooms. Piano tuning, I think, was one of them. And, of course, if you're a really good musician, you could play music in a bar somewhere and get tips. Can you, yeah, none of those a, a, could earn a blind man at living, much less support a wife and family. Um, so, but your dad became well, a lawyer and a county judge. Is that right? He certainly did. And the reason he became a, one of the reasons why, first of all, he's incredibly bright. But second of all, his older brother Charles, who became his mentor, and they spent many times, many hours together. Uh, Charles was going off to law school at Notre Dame, so Dad said, "Well, I can do that." And if I'm a lawyer, I can make enough money to, you know, get married. So that's I'll get what that he girl did. to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> he did, but uh, uh, really, the pressure on him was immense. So my mom and my dad were the first two, uh, the only two to go to college that were in their class. So they went to Ball State. Um, it was back then. It was called Ball State Teachers College, and now it's Ball State University. Uh, Mom spent two years there. Dad spent three, uh, and that's another story. And how did they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but briefly, I'll just say. Then once Dad left there, he was accepted to Notre Dame Law School, and he was the first blind student to graduate from the law school. Um, went into practice with his brother and earned enough money that first year that he uh, was able to get married to my mom. But by that time, they were like almost thirty years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did either of them ever experience any kind of of depression or anxiety um, around yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> yes, and that's not something they would ever talk about. Of course, and not. it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized, oh yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's where some of that comes from. My mother had there, there was some anxiety going on of course, in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, and especially when he was in law school, that first year when he wasn't sure if he was going to make it or not, 
uh, and the pressure on him. If he failed, my mother would fail. She would right. be stuck at home on a farm, right. and they could never get married, and he'd be stuck at home in Muncie. I mean, like, ooh. Uh, so he had the whole world basically on his shoulders. Um, and so, oh, yeah, the challenges, yeah? Oh, yeah, oh. yep, yep. Oh, my goodness. But there are gifts, I'm quite certain, and we haven't talked about those. But we are going to take another short break. And when we get back, I would like love to talk about some of the gifts that you feel that they had. So, listeners, stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. This is Life Don't Miss More of the Francesca Luca Show coming right up on 95.9 WATD. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy trattoria with stucco walls and beam ceiling specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisine here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. And Terramia Ristorante also offers outdoor dining. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. For indoor or outdoor dining, the best kept secret is worth the trip. Terramia Ristorante. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiaristorante.com. The time is now to finally install that new patio or fire pit that's been in your dreams. Your home is ready to be beautified with stonework, but when the time comes, you want and need the best. That's where Stein Masonry comes in. Stein Masonry provides the best in high-quality construction and hardscaping services. With an experienced and dedicated team, they'll tailor any project to your specifications. When you decide it's time to enhance your home, don't mess with less than the best. Trust the guys you know. Stein Masonry, family owned and operated and local. Visit them online today for a free quote at steinmasonry.com. Looking for a comfortable experience to have your medical spa and wellness treatments? Well, you have found the place. Boston Botox has arrived. That is B-E-A-U-T-O-X. They succeed in combining Morpheus 8 microneedling with radio frequency, medical skin treatments, and art to give you that rejuvenated look and feel. Undo skin damage from sun exposure and treat the signs of aging and gravity. Are you feeling stressed, experiencing hormone changes or weight gain? You are not alone. Boston Botox, that is B-E-A-U-T-O-X, can help you on your journey to live well and be well. Embrace the fountain of youth. Visit bostonbotox.com, B-E-A-U-T-O-X, to begin your journey of self-care today. You'll be glad you did. Oh gosh, Debbie, my new puppy is pulling me in a million different directions. One day it's off to the groomers, the next it's the trainer. Between that and my job, my head is spinning. Oh, Quinn, it sounds like you need a one-stop shop for all your pet care needs. That is exactly what I need. Well, then you should come down and see me and my team at Doggy Works. We offer daily dog daycare, walking, training, and grooming all from one spot. We've got all the services you need to give your dog the best care it can get, all under one roof. That sounds amazing. 
where can I find you? It's easy. We're located right on Route 14 in Pembroke, and we're open 12 hours a day, Monday to Friday. And if you can't make it during the week, we're by appointment for grooming and training on Saturdays, too. Your dog deserves the absolute best, so check us out at doggyworksllc.com or call us at 781-754-0329. Plan a wonderful evening in Boston's North End, highlighted by one of the neighborhood's best-kept secrets, Antico Forno. Renowned as one of the world's most authentic Italian restaurants, Antico Forno provides you with an unforgettable dining experience featuring world-class traditional Italian dishes cooked in their beautiful brick oven. Outdoor dining is now available too. Whether seated inside or enjoying an evening under the stars, when you eat at Antico Forno, you feel like part of the family. Antico Forno is open seven days a week. See their menu and make your reservation online at AnticoFornoBoston.com. This is Life, don't miss it. I'm Francesca. You're listening to The Francesca Lucas Show on 95.9 WATD. And welcome back. We are talking to Mary Harper, who is the author of The Sound of Her Voice. It's a story of her parents who fell in love despite the fact that they were both blind. Welcome back, Mary. Thank you. So your mother raised four children, and yet she obviously never saw any of them. How did she manage running a household and raising four children? I'm going to... I'm going to just throw in there before you even answer that, but I bet you there are some gifts with this disability, but love to hear your thoughts. Okay. Um, so it's a well, two-part question, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, as far as gifts go, I'd like to start with that first. Both of my parents were incredibly bright. Mm. My mother was exceeded in practicality. She had the best common sense of really anybody I've known. So she figured out ways to get around her blindness. Uh, you know, I like to say we were just like any other family. My parents were just like any other parents. They just did things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we had the uh, rules and organization that helped to keep the household running. There were certain rules like um, do not ever leave anything on the floor. Because, of course, uh, they were worried about tripping. Mm. Um, so if I was a child playing on the floor right. with my dolls, for example, I would, and I'd see my mom coming into the room, I'd say, oh, Mom, I'm over here in the corner playing. Okay. And she'd walk right around me. She would not, you know, as long as she knew that I was there. Um, so her kitchen was extremely well organized. She did all the cooking, she did all the cleaning, she did all the laundry. She, was, she had an incredible memory. Um, she would sometimes uh, show me a can and say, is this a can of peas? I think this is a can of peas. And I'd say, yep, that's a can of peas, because if you shake a can of peas and a can of corn, they sound different. <laughs> and she knew the difference. Uh, and then later on, I think when I was in high school, she uh, found some magnets that were written in Braille, uh, mm. Braille magnets. So she could put those on cans and not have to ask anyone. Mm. But then uh, she would say, I think we'll have a pie tonight. And she'd go to the freezer and pull out a, a frozen pie. And she'd say, is this uh, 425 for 60 minutes? And I'd look at it and say, yeah, Mom, that's right. I, mean, I couldn't remember that. I can't remember half of what I read. And then mm-hmm. I have to keep looking back at the recipe. But she would remember. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and then she would hear us. If we got too quiet, she'd have to come and see what we were doing, especially when we were very young. 
Um, and I think it also helps that when I was born, my poor mother was 40 years old, and this was in 1953. So, you know, things were not easy back then. There were no uh, paper diapers. She had to do all the diaper changing by herself, and mm-hmm. there were cloth diapers that she washed. Um, and I, when I got my own child, um, and I decided I would use cloth diapers, and I realized, oh, my God, how did my mother ever use pins without poking us? Oh, really? And I asked her that, and she said, oh, I just made sure that my fingers were in between you and the diaper, and I would slide the pin in. I said, well, didn't you get poked? I said, oh, yeah, I always got poked. But it never bothered her, you know. <laughs> Do you think that this experience... Um could actually bring, or, or, you know, this kind of thing could actually bring people closer together instead of uh, separating them? Uh, what do you mean, the experience? The experience of having blind parents, or what do you mean? No, I'm just wondering if having, if having both parents that were blind, if that actually could have, you know, because it could conceivably or possibly have the children, you know, sort of move away from the parents or bring them closer together. I'm not sure. Oh, no. I guess that's what right. I'm asking. So Okay, you know, uh, in our situation brought us totally close together. Yeah, I would think. And that's yeah. a beautiful thing. And that's a gift right there, right? Right, right. Yeah. Although, there were times, I can remember as I was a little older, uh, there'd be the four of us there, and Mom and Dad would be, we'd be ready to go somewhere. And one of us would have to walk with Mom, and one of us would have to walk with Dad. And there'd be times that we would be doing um, sign language and basically saying to each other, you walk with them. No, I don't want to walk with them. No. Because it wasn't necessarily a burden, but you were tied down a little bit. When you walked with a blind parent, you had to watch things. You had to watch the overhanging trees. You had to watch for bumps in the sidewalk. You had to watch the streets. You couldn't just sort of skip along ahead freely. Mm-hmm. So some of us would not really fight, but we'd say, it's your turn. You do it. <laughs> um, so that, and I don't think they ever knew that we did that. Uh, we were very quiet about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, what about? That, that, yeah, go ahead. But, go ahead. Oh, I guess that's just one example. Yeah. Of, yeah. I'm just curious if there were any advantages to having two blind parents. Uh, sometimes. Yeah, I like. Uh, where I didn't like to have people staring at us, people knew who we were because we were written up all the time in the newspaper. Uh, my dad being a, a city court judge uh, when he was younger and then uh, two-time at another court a little bit later as an adult. I mean, I was an adult. Um, we, people knew who we were. Everything that my parents did was in the paper. Mario Peroni flies off on a business trip with his dog for his first flight. Uh, with the seeing eye dog, or you know, any little thing. Mario Perney talks to the Boy Scout troop number whatever uh, with his dog Carla and talks about seeing eye dogs. So everybody, if you read the paper, would know. And a lot of times, this picture was in the paper, and Dad was in politics. So yes, everybody knew who we were. So in a way, that did come to my advantage because uh, <laughs> people knew who we were. And so, uh, for one stupid example, I was in junior achievement as a senior in high school, and I applied just on a whim. Hey, maybe I should be Miss Junior Achievement. I won it. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not sure how, mm-hmm. but I think because they knew who my dad was, 
and they just oh such a nice family whatever mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know it's silly stuff like that or sometimes because my oldest sister was really smart and went through the same school and the, oh well you're a peroni you 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 can yeah you know, they they would give me the advantage there sometimes mm-hmm. uh, on a test for example if there was a borderline thing oh I might they might round it up a little bit for me right. but uh, other than that no yeah. you know. Um. You say that sighted people sometimes treat blind people as if they are stupid. Why Why would that be? You know, I think it's because people can't um, catch their eye. Making eye contact is so important in our world that if you look at someone and they don't know that you're looking at them or don't know that you're there, mm. uh, that's, that's a real problem. And mm. um so I think that's where it starts. And then there's other people that, okay, well, I, I don't have to uh, make eye contact. My dad knew so many people's voices and names. So um, he would be walking around downtown one time I was with him, and there was a guy who came up to him and said, hey, Mario, do you know who I am? And my dad, I could tell you, was getting mad because I could see his big eye got bigger and he was trying to open up that little eye. And uh, that's, he only did that when he was mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, you in for it now. And my dad is firmly, no, I'm afraid I don't. And the guy then was embarrassed. Oh my gosh. Play games. <sighs> no, it's the same thing. Okay, so my mom and I would go out for lunch. Sometimes we'd be out shopping, stop for lunch, sit down. The waitress would hand out two two um, menus, and, and my mom, of course, wouldn't react. And so I would quickly say, "We only need one menu," and I would read it to her. And then the waitress would come back and look at me and say, what does she want? Well, I don't know what she wants. Why don't you ask my mother? Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they act as if they're not there. They yeah. act as if they're stupid. Right. They can't answer their questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, sometimes, yeah, people do uh, mistake or confuse a physical impairment with a mental impairment, yeah. right? Um, so, but after overhearing a conversation about her between two women on a bus, um, your mom said to your yeah. sister, I'm blind, not stupid, right? Do these yeah. women think I can't hear them? And, and so my question would be that, you know, that kind of stuff could wreak havoc on her mentally, as, as I had talked to, you know, asked you about uh, you know, right. in the last segment, is that those are the kinds of things that, you know, that you don't feel like you fit in or, you know, but, right? Is it some, some of that right. stuff, right? Yeah. She coped with it. It was just something mm-hmm. that I think she had experienced all her life mm-hmm. when she was in public school. That other kids would tease her about being blind, or she would stumble over something, and they'd oh, I thought you could see some. And and they're just people are rude and crude at times. And mm-hmm. I think my parents were just um, uh, gracious people, mm-hmm. and they just didn't hold a grudge like that. Because I mean, why why waste your energy on that? They had to be so aware and thinking of so many things at the same time. Like my dad, I never realized until I was an adult, and he was talking about walking uh, in a blizzard and how aware he had to be. And when he lost his sense of awareness, he was lost. And and being lost in a blizzard, even if you're only a block from home, that's terrifying uh, as a blind person. But even on a regular walk to work on a regular day, he had to keep in mind listening for cars, buses, uh, whatever. And knowing exactly where he was, because that was his big fear, I would get lost. He would get lost while he was out walking. 
he had concentrated so hard. Right. You know, when I was just, I'm just going to, we're going to take a short break in just a minute, but I just want to mention, you know, when I was a little girl, I don't really think I was, I think I was maybe like 13, 14 years old, um, and I was volunteering at a home for the blind where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. I've always had, you know, a a special kind of interest, um, you know, and um, so, you know, I would go there because my mom would have to drive me and pick me up and help, I would help them to eat and help them, there was a pool at this place and I would help them to swim and it taught me so much about compassion, and I remember one night at dinner, I was talking about it, and I started to cry, and, you know, and I said, I wanted them to come, and could I bring some of them home to live with us? Oh. And, yeah, yeah, um, but, you know, I, I think it was the beginning of me really, I, I think... Uh, I don't know. I, I think I learned so much about compassion and about love. And um, unfortunately, no, I couldn't bring them home. And mom said I couldn't. But but it was a great experience. And um, just always sort of been fascinated. Um, so when your PR person reached out to me, I was like, oh, wow, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway. Um, so we are going to take a short break. But when we come back, I'd love to know about some other misconceptions that people have about um, blind people, because sometimes I think people who are blind, I think people think they're also deaf, um, oh, right? Yeah. Right? Is that true? Right? I think. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let, let's, we'll, we'll hang on that, we'll marinate on that thought, and we'll take a break, and when we, we come back, we'll talk about some of those other misconceptions. Listeners, stay with us here. This is Life Don't Miss it. This is the Francesca Luca Show. I'm Francesca. We'll talk more in just a bit on 95.9 WATD. Plan a wonderful evening in Boston's North End, highlighted by one of the neighborhood's best-kept secrets, Antico Forno. Renowned as one of the world's most authentic Italian restaurants, Antico Forno provides you with an unforgettable dining experience featuring world-class traditional Italian dishes cooked in their beautiful brick oven. Outdoor dining is now available too. Whether seated inside or enjoying an evening under the stars, when you eat at Antico Forno, you feel like part of the family. Antico Forno is open seven days a week. See their menu and make your reservation online at AnticoFornoBoston.com. The time is now to finally install that new patio or fire pit that's been in your dreams. Your home is ready to be beautified with stonework, but when the time comes, you want and need the best. That's where Stein Masonry comes in. Stein Masonry provides the best in high-quality construction and hardscaping services. With an experienced and dedicated team, they'll tailor any project to your specifications. When you decide it's time to enhance your home, don't mess with less than the best. Trust the guys you know. Stein Masonry, family-owned and operated and local. Visit them online today for a free quote at steinmasonry.com. Looking for a comfortable experience to have your medical spa and wellness treatments? Well, you have found the place. Boston Botox has arrived. That is B-E-A-U-T-O-X. They succeed in combining Morpheus 8 microneedling with radio frequency, medical skin treatments, and art to give you that rejuvenated look and feel. Undo skin damage from sun exposure and treat the signs of aging and gravity. Are you feeling stressed, experiencing hormone changes or weight gain? 
You are not alone. Boston Botox, that is B-E-A-U-T-O-X, can help you on your journey to live well and be well. Embrace the fountain of youth. Visit bostonbotox.com, B-E-A-U-T-O-X, to begin your journey of self-care today. You'll be glad you did. Need a reliable place for your pet? Does your dog crave extra stimulation instead of social isolation? Sign up for doggy daycare at the Dog's Den in Pembroke. With two separate yards and plenty of supervision, your dog will have a ball and tug-of-war toys and plenty of new friends. The Dog's Den also specializes in grooming. Each groomer at the Dog's Den has decades of experience and will leave your furry friend refreshed and ready for their next adventure. Schedule your grooming or daycare today at thedogsdengrooming.com. Who doesn't go to the hair salon to liven up their looks? Though sometimes you look worse on the way out than you did walking in. You can expect something different at Hair Design Fationa. With a super modern feel that can hardly be mistaken for suburban, a full service hair salon they offer cuts, color, highlighting, and formal design. Fationa is originally from Europe where she owned her own salon. With an impressive following, she won't disappoint. I know because I can tell you from my own experience, I felt transformed and you will too. So if you're looking to turn a few heads, call Fationa today at 781-964-3770. Conveniently located at 834 Washington Street in Braintree or visit her on Facebook. That number again is 781-964-3770. Call today, you'll be thrilled. I know you will. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terra Mia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy trattoria with stucco walls and beam ceiling specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisine here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. And Terra Mia Ristorante also offers outdoor dining. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. For indoor or outdoor dining, the best-kept secret is worth the trip. Terramia Ristorante. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiaristorante.com. This is life, don't miss it. You're listening to the Francesca Luca Show. The talk continues on 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back. The Sound of Her Voice, that is the name of the book by my guest tonight, Mary Harper. Uh, welcome back, Mary. Thank you. So, misconceptions about blind people. Um you know, a lot of people think that if someone is blind, that they're also deaf, um, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, the, you know, and I think another one might be that, that people, they think that they can't do anything for themselves, like, you know, how to dress right. or how to, you know, how do they know what they're wearing? And um, so I would like you to uh, debunk that, those, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Us. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's something this about blind people that they're uneducable or they're cursed by God because it goes back to the Bible and says, you know, they're being punished by God or whatever, or they're evil people. And it's like, oh, really? No, no, that has nothing to do with it. Um, And they are not 
stupid. They are definitely educable, and um, they're not necessarily deaf. Some people can be blind and deaf, obviously, but uh, all that is just um, part of mythology. You know, mm. when you think of a blind person, a lot of times people just think of a poor man um, selling pencils uh, at the corner or begging. Mm. Or mm. Uh, what I remember growing up, there's another blind man in Muncie who worked at the uh, courthouse and he sold candy. Mm. And, um, you know, he barely made any money. So, uh, But a lot of people who have disabilities... Um, you know, they really go on to do great things. They really do. Yeah. yeah. And it reminds me again of when I was a little kid and, um, you know, in school in those days, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but there'd be that pencil sharpener at the front of the classroom, right? Yeah. And there was a girl in my class. Her name was Judy. And uh, she was just a little bit of a thing. And um, she had... Um, she was handicapped. She did not have a full arm, one hand, right? Mm. She, she was cut mm-hmm. off um, at her elbow. And she went up to the pencil sharpener and she used her elbow to hold the pencil in while she used the other hand to, to turn the, the pencil sharpener, right? You, can you envision that, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And I uh-huh. went to try to help her. Well, she very quickly let me know I can do that myself. I just right. never forgot that, you know, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm the rescuer of the world, apparently, as we're listening to this, as we're talking here. It's like I like to help people, too, you know. But, but um, you know, I, I think sometimes people with handicaps, I mean, they really can, can go places. and Right? And um, I think it's frustrating, too, to blind people or anybody with a handicap is that you assume that they need help. Well, exactly, right? right? You made your mistake. Right. If somebody would come up and grab my dad's arm to help him walk across the street, can you imagine? I mean, it, no, don't you touch me. Yeah, uh, I, I can do it fine. Now, if my dad was having difficulty, and, he, and he's done that before, mm-hmm. when he was up like in big cities that he wasn't as familiar with, and he might ask a pedestrian, uh, sir, could you help me get across the street? Uh, then, yes, absolutely, people would love that. Or you, you can ask a person, do you need any help? Like, and if they right, say no, exactly. then right. fine. Right. When I see, you know, aging people, sometimes if I'm in the supermarket, can I help you put those in your car? Um, you know, and I think that that's, right. that's, that's important. And, you know, you want to be able to spread that uh, light and love. But um, so it, it, speaking of that, you say that your parents, through their, although through their world was dark, that they were able to spread love. And, and how, do you, how do you think that they did that or how did they do that? You know, uh, just by being themselves, mm. they were just, you know, giving me hugs. They did that with our family. Oh, they were yeah. family, parents, uh, and they truly cared. And, and you know, it was interesting, too, because even back in the 20s, I guess it was, and they were at the School for the Blind, my dad would told the story of how he was friends with a couple of boys of color. Uh, and back then, of course, very, yeah. very segregated. Right. And he wanted to have lunch with them. He said, come on, this is this table. And he said, oh, no, we can't eat there. And my dad didn't understand that. Right. So all along, he was basically colorblind. It didn't bother him. He was one of the first in Muncie to have a, a, a black bailiff. Um, and and that was very controversial back then. It's like, oh, how could you do that? You know, right. you should have a white bailiff. Right. So uh, it, for him, uh, he was very open-minded, very liberal, um, and he didn't judge people. Uh, well, he did in a way when he was, uh, uh, you know, that was his job to judge right. people. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but he did that based on law and not on emotion. 
Right, right. Um, we just have a, a few minutes left, Mary, but um, I would love it if you could share a quick story um, that um, about them or their struggles that will uplift us, even though I'm putting you in a box with just oh maybe three minutes left. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah let's, leave, let's leave this interview with an inspiring story. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, people have said my book is so inspiring to them and it moves them emotionally. And if I sat down to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and write an inspirational book, mm. I'd still be on a computer with a blank screen because how do you write an inspirational book? But it's just their whole story that makes you feel amazement and wonder and you realize, damn, I'm grateful for my sight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. People don't. Think about that. But I think underneath it all, we all have a fear of being blind. What would our life be like? And there's a lot of people who are visually impaired and who Absolutely. will lose their sight. That's right. With, you know, as, as older you get macular degeneration and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they can learn that being blind is not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It is the end of the world as they knew it. But my dad always did say, anytime you lose your sight as an adult, it's extremely difficult. Oh, if you're yeah. Right, 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 right. You know, it just uh, on a a, a different note here. um, So I'm painting my bathroom and um, took the mirrors down off the wall. And then the painter got sick and wasn't able to come for several days. So I've been without mirrors now in my bathroom. (laughs) And this morning I thought, this is really annoying. And I've been actually saying this for a couple of days now. This is really annoying, you know. And then I'm thinking... Well, what's really annoying? And then I'm just like simple things, you know, like putting my makeup on and not wanting to get like a line, you know, with the foundation or trying to blow dry my hair without being able to really see how it's coming out or seeing how I look in an outfit or, you know, it's, it's, it sounds so superficial. Um, but, you know, we do get and brushing our teeth, flossing our teeth, you know, these are all things, you know, and they do matter. And, um, you know, we're just so used to them. We take them so for granted. Well, since I haven't had them in, you know, several days, it's like, and thinking how interesting it was that I was going to be interviewing you tonight. So, um, you know, I just thought, oh, get those two mirrors back up, right? <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. Well, when you're used to that and you depend on that, that's one thing that she, my mom, you know, wasn't used to it. And she just learned how to do things, but she would also use us as mirrors. Do I look okay? Do I have any spots on me? You know, how does this dress look on me? So... But yeah, right. how do you be near little kids? That's right. got to be so All right. So it's almost in some ways you had to be um, parental to your parents. Is that right? Uh, you know, people think that. Uh, no. no. They, they, were the parents. they made the decisions. They told us what to do. They disciplined us. We did not parent them, but we we helped them. I guess would be the way. We, right. we just made things a little easier during the day. But it also, but you know, it, it also <laughs> has made you an author. This is the first time you've ever written a book, right? Would you ever have written a book, do you think, had, right? I mean, do you really think that this would have happened? If, no, 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 exactly. No. All right. All right. Mary Harper, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. The sound of her voice. Pick it up. Great Beach Read listeners. And, again, thank you so much for being a guest. It's been an honor. I pre- Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. We've got to wrap things up and say goodnight. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you missed part of the show, you can hop on over to my iTunes page and listen there. All right. See you soon. What if you took the time to really so-
Mrs. 